Hello and welcome back to Talking Tom. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend Ann Chavruta, your Dana Asband, our daf of the day, Masachatsuka, daf memhe, page 45. Nicely, we have a mission at the beginning of the daf that's going to, you know, be our mission for the daf. Mitzvah Arava Ketzad. We have been talking about the mitzvah of the Arava for some da- for some dapim now, but the Mishnah only gets to it today. What is the mitzvah of the willow branch? How does this work? And this is not your average halacha either, because because this was a very much a, a, a halacha that was connected to the place, right? The what was the nature of the arava in the Beit Hamikdash? We get a little bit of background color, as you know, in terms of the the way this was um, lived out. Really, there's a place before Yerushalayim, and it was called Motza. There's still a place near. There's a town near Jerusalem called Motza. Um, I have no reason to think it's the same place. Yordin l'shem l'sham umalaktin misham morbiot shel arava uva'in v'zokfin otan b'tzidei hamizbeach v'shehen kfufin al gabei hamizbeach. So they'd go there. They gather willow branches, right? And then they would come and they would bring them to the Beit Hamikdash. They would stand them upright on the sides of the altar of the mizbeach. And the tops of the branches would kind of like lean over, like kind of bend over to frame, I guess, the top of the Mizbeach. It's very picturesque. They would blow the shofar, right? They would show it, they blow the shofar with a tikiah, which we know to be just a, a straight, simple sound. And then a truah. The truah is those, the very short, um, blasts of the shofar in a row, very fast blasts, very short, fast blasts in a row, and then another tekiah, right? The simple, the plain, simple sign, sound of a tekiah. Every day they would go around, they would encircle that mizbeach one time, and they would say, Ana Hashem Oshiana, Ana Hashem Hatzlichana. These are the verses that we have directly from Hallel. From it's from the Mizmor team Kuf Rabbi Huda Omer Hoshiana. Right, he he adds, you know, exactly this formulation that we do have in the saying of Hoshano to still today. On that day, on that day, meaning on the seventh day of Sukkot, which is Hoshana Rabbah, they would go around the Mizbech seven times. I'm sorry, when they would depart, when they would leave, meaning the end of the holiday comes, and they would say, how beautiful for you, Mizbeach, to the altar. This is to Hashem, I guess I would say, Meaning, instead of saying, Rebbe Lezer would say, to you, to Hashem, and then to you, to the Mizbech, to the altar, as the phrase that is repeated. So this is the this is the first half of the mission, I would say. And it gives us this, you know, the pageantry of exactly what would happen in the Beit HaMikdash on, um, well, on Sukkot and then on Hoshana Rabbah. The same thing that was done during the week was also done on Shabbat. Right? 
So the except for the fact that they would gather those branches from beforehand, they make sure that they're in the <coughs> excuse me, already on Arab Shabbat. They would place them in, it says here, Gigiot Shel Zahav, these barrels of gold um, or basins of gold, so that they would not dry out, meaning the point, of course, I, that the water, that there's water in the basins. Rabbi Yochanan ben Baruch Omer, Chariot shal dekel hayum evi'in v'chovtin oto b'karka b'tzidei amizbeach v'oto ayom nikra'e chibut chariot. So this is a procedure that we also know from Hoshana Rabbah. They would take these um, palm branches, they would they would take the lulav to the Beit HaMikdash, they would put them on the ground at the side of the altar, meaning they've already got the arava standing up there. And then on Hoshana Rabbah, um, they would they would take the arava. Um, yeah, they would take the arava, and then they would they beat them right. Chibut chariot. It was called the the place. Well, this is just placing. That's less picturesque. Um, the way it's translated, but um, the idea is it's shift from from lulav harava. Miad tinokot shomtinet lulavein vaochlin etrogehen. And as soon as that would happen, meaning like it's a recognition that on this seventh day we're shifting gears, the children, Tinoko, uh, would take their lulavim out of the bindings of the lulavim and they would eat their etrogen. As um, the idea being that this is how great is their simcha, that they are in, it's one, yet another way of celebrating the holiday of Sukkot as it's coming to a close. Of course, we don't do this. We've talked about the pesticides on etrogen already you know, today, and the whole procedure is a little bit different today, but the great joy on Hoshana Rabbah, it's treated, and even nowadays, as a as a festival almost unto itself, even though it's the closure of Sukkot, it's also, you know, it's got its own practices, as you hear, and, um, and it carries with it this, you know, extra joy. Okay. Your dinner before I go on, do you have anything on the on the Well, I will let you know that my family does make a suda with actually some of the co learners of this podcast. <laughs> I won't <laughs> name them all now. But we do make a suda on Hoshana Rabbah, exactly for the reason. I mean, the Mishnah really describes it as like a very joyous joyous holiday. Right. Yes. Okay. So now the Gemara here. And I, I don't know that I'm going to read it inside. Gives a good deal of disc, a good deal of description of exactly how to get these pieces, uh, the arava themselves, to be standing up. Uh, so that I think we're not going to do in in detail. But you understand, there's a certain there had to be a certain procedure. You're talking about willow branches, and they are not the most sturdy of anything, right? The idea of how are you going to get it to be um, exactly where it needs to be around the mizbeach. But before that. The Gemara opens by saying, Tana makom kalanya hava. So it's about Moza, right? This place, which is out, maybe it is the same place. I, you know, clearly when they named Moza the town, it, it's, you know, reminiscent of the, ta- of the town that once was, right? Um, so it says that it was a Roman um, colony, literally cl- from Kalania. Col- colony is from Kalania the same word originally, right? It's the same root of the word. But Tanya Didan, my Tama Karele Moza. So then why did they call it Moza? Aide de Mikaf Makarga de Malka Karele Moza. So the reason they call it Moza is that it was exempted because it was this Roman town. It was exempted from the Karga. The Karga was this king's tax. Um, to And everybody knew, I guess, that's that town, the exempt town. 
which is an interesting commentary, you know, to begin with, it has nothing to do with, with its role in the Mishnah, right? The role in the Mishnah is that there were willows there and they went to get them there. But it's it gives us really a, a very different um, backdrop of, of, you want to talk about realia, the, the fact that the Romans exempted a particular town from attacks um, is about as hardcore reality as you can get. I just want to go back to one quick point that you said, and then I'm going to read uh, my bit here, um, which is, you know, this whole question about the uh, robot, if you could have them stand, has been mentioned before. But it's funny to me that it's only now that they sort of try to actually think about the practical thing, which is how do you make a branch actually stand? And I think they sort of come to the conclusion you can't actually have it stand. So when they had all those discussions about did you have to circle with it or did you you know, did you just sort of stand it by the altar? It's funny that some of those details don't really get discussed until now. And it's sort of just like, yeah, of course you could just stand it up by the altar. And finally on this stuff, they're like, but it's a branch. It wouldn't really stand. But again, I think this Mishnah and that Gemara, this is, you know, one of these examples that we saw, you know, in Pesachim and Shkalim, where, and also in Yuma, where, you know, we are a few hundred years past the actual Beit HaMikdash. And it's sort of sad to see how some of those traditions actually do get lost. Um, yeah, <laughs> yes. It's interesting, I think, that we have this here alive, you know, in the Gemara to preserve it. But yeah, so, you know, and, and I think they're trying to sort of recapture that and piece together what they can. Um, so I just want to read a, a passage that's Ahmed Bet, which uh, shares with us a concept that's pretty uh, famous. And this is one of the sources for it. But it begins with a discussion. There's some nice little, I don't know if it's straightforward. I got to tell stories beforehand. And there's this discussion, you know, they had cited a halacha by Rabbi Yirmi and the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. And so the Gemara now is going to share some other halachot of Rabbi Yirmi and the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. Amar Chizkiah. Amar Rabbi Yirmi, Mishum Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. Kol mitzvah kulan, ena dam yotzebaham, ela derek yedilatan. So what did they said that all mitzvah, all the objects that are used to perform a mitzvah, a mitzvah, a person fulfills his, his obligation, his only yotze with them, when the object is, is put in the manner of its growth. And so specifically here, they're talking about their lulav, shenemar, and they quote here a pasuk from Shemot, chapter 26, uh, verse 15, ad shitim omdim, right? That the, the, the this wood, um, you know, the Atsashi team, this wood has to be standing. So in other words, what it's telling is the beam has to stand of the wood needs to be in the way that it, that it would grow. You have to hold it the way that it would grow. Um, and Tananami Hachi, so now they're going to quote here also, Atsashi team of Deem, Shog Deem Derekadila Tan. So again, they stand in the tabernacle, this type of wood, in the way that, that they, they grow. Davar Cherem Deem, Right, another uh, explanation of what I'm deeming, Shema Amidim, Etsi Puyen, that they would stand, meaning that they would support the um, the, the plating, right? That they would, Omdim, they would su support the gold plating that was on the beams. Davar Acher, another explanation of Omdim, Shama Tamar Avad Sibaran, Ubatel Si Fian, Tamudamar, Atseshi Tim Omdim, Shomdim Liolam Lamei so this is a very beautiful one. It says that maybe, right, you might say that after the destruction of the, of the Mishkan, 
that their hope is lost and their prospect is like abolished, right? Right? And that in other words, they'll never, the, 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 the wood is like, it's not clear. I think it's saying that it's like the wood is upset, right? That they'll never get to go back and be part of the Mishkan it's, itself. So Tamil Lamar, it's Eishitim Omdim, right? That they stand forever and forever. That again, the, these beams of wood will be used again. Now we get into something else. So I thought that was just a nice one. Now we're going to go and move on to another saying. Um, but uh, sorry, I should, should have read. I wasn't done explaining there. But it's interesting to see sort of how they take this, you know, and really move it, you know, very far away from any sort of halachic significance uh, into a nice little thing about what happens after they get destroyed. Now we move on to another teaching. So he said, I am able to basically absolve the whole world of judgment for all the sins that were committed from the day I was created until now. In other words, Rabbi Shemar Yachai is basically saying he's so righteous that he gives kapara for all the sins that are in the world, right? And then he also says, right? Um, and he says, and also my son, right? Um, who's with me, right? So the same thing he could say for him, that he also could absolve the world of all the sins from the, from the day the world was created until um, now. The ad, the ilmale yotam ben uzia imanu miyom shenivarulam ad sofa. And also, we're talking about a, a, one of the kings, right? Yotam ben Uzia, right? If he was with us also, he also would absolve the world from the day that the world was created until now. So in other words, what he's saying is, is that these are a description of three sort of tzaddikim who they can wipe out all of the bad things, all of the evil in the world. Now, again, it's interesting to see Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai talk about this because remember, we learned that Gemara about him and his son and they were in this cave and when they, cave, left, the cave, they left the cave... You know, they sort, you know, of, couldn't they sort function of couldn't function in the real world. Remember, they were looking at things and they would go up and fire and they had to go back into the cave. But, you know, here we're sort of seeing the the beauty or, or, or uh, of their righteousness and what sadikim that they um, and what sadikim that they were. Um, and then finally, we get to right. Right. So now he says, I've seen Raiti. So he says, I've seen mem- like members of, of, of the spiritual group of people. There are very few of them, right? If there's a thousand of them, me and my son are from them. So in other words, saying there's not that many spiritually worthy people in the world, but if there's a thousand of them, my son and I are part of them. If there's a hundred of them, my son and I are also part of them. Let's say there's only, we say there's only two righteous people. Then it's me and my son. Right? So, so it's very interesting that he sort of really articulates sort of how spiritual and holy he and his son are. Right? And then it goes on to say, right? Right? So then the Gemara, sorry, goes on to say, are there really so few of them? Right? Baha Amar Rabbah didn't Rabbah say Tamine Sari Alpe Dare Habe. 
So didn't Ravi say there are 18,000, right, in a row, um, uh, right, Dakama Kucha Brichu, who are in front of Hashem, Shanemar. And how does he know there's 18,000? He quotes here Basuk from Yechezkel, chapter 48, um, uh, uh, verse uh, 35, that says, Savish Monasar Elif, that says, surrounding are 18,000. So this is saying the opposite. This is saying the righteous, there are many of them. Lo kasha. This isn't a kasha. I'm not going to say this word correctly. Um, so the so the statement of Rabbi Shimon Yochai is talking about the few who can view, meaning they can see the divine presence in this world through a bright partition, while Rava is talking about those who view the divine presence throughout a bright partition. So in other words, it's tearing the tzaddikim. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is talking about a higher level tzaddik. Again, this obviously has a lot of Kabbalistic meaning, but it's talking about two different types of tzaddikim who have different ways of sort of uh, relating to or seeing the divine presence of the world. And finally, and this is really the famous part that I wanted to get to, I'm not saying the word. Aspaklaria. Thank you. Aspaklaria. Now you said it correctly. Right. So those who view the this, you know, Hashem through this bright partition, Mizutre Kule Hai, are there really so few? Baha Amar Abai, didn't Abai say, Lo Pachod Alma, Mitaltalim Bishita Tzadike. So this is the very famous thing that the world has no fewer than 36 righteous people. So I'm sure many of you have heard about the Lamed Bab Tzadikim, that in every generation we always say that there are 36 righteous people and this is the source for this is is, is this gemara here right who greet or sort of accept the the the, the shrina every single day and how do they know this they quote this pasuk from yishayahu chapter 30 verse 18 right so it says happy are all those who wait for him but what it is, is they're focusing on the low, that, that word low, right, which refers to him, which is Lamed Bab. Lamed Bab, the Gematria, right, Tlatan Bishitza Havu. So that's 36 in Gematria. And so again, Lo Kasha, Had Ali Babar, Had Ali Bilobar. So again, this isn't a Kasha. Bai is talking about those who enter to or who greet the Shechina by uh, giving permission, right? And the statement of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai or those who can enter the Shechina without even be granted permission, which obviously is going to be very few, right? In other words, there are some people, they don't even need to have permission. They can just access somehow the Shechina itself. So uh, obviously there's probably a lot, I know there are a lot of commentators who have many different explanations for what's going on here, but really what they're trying to tease out is, is like how many righteous people really are there at any time? And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai clearly has sort of a little bit more of a, an elitist attitude about himself, his son, where Tzaddik can fit in. I think this fits with his personality. And again, we know this all because of that story we read about him in the cave before, um, it, it, uh, you know, it, uh, you know that very, very famous story. Um, but then we also sort of see here the source for the concept of the Lamed, you know, of the Lamed Bab Malak uh, Tzaddikim, that in every generation we have these 36 Tzaddikim. I like that there is, you know, this oasis of what is truly a philosophical, spiritual discussion, right? In the midst of 
the discussion of the Arava and the Lola, whatever, the idea of who we are, I think, is, as people, right? How do we live our lives in this world of Torah, right? Are we righteous? Who are we going to be? You know, you could you could always have this conversation in the context of mitzvot in general. And yet, <clears throat> I think it's always really important to remember that this is part of what Chazal focused on as well. It's not it's not just, you know, how do you get your Arava to stand up around the around the Mizbeach, which is a very important detail because Aravot are floppy, but but still, right? These the the details are the what do they say? You know, God is in the details, right? The the details are the prelude, let's say, to the real thing, which is what does it mean to be righteous? Yeah, I totally agree. And again, I'm going to, you know, sort of plug my way of understanding these stories. If you don't know the other stories about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, like, for example, the Gemara and Brachos with Rabbi, you know, Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Elazar, and that he's sort of the student who instigates that fight. And the Gemara and Shabbos about him being in the cave. This whole discussion around him and how he viewed himself and his son Sadiqim, it makes so much sense. This, this is consistent with who he is. But you need to sort of know all these other things in the Gemara to really give yourself a, a, a full picture. And I, I think that's why it's so important to really understand these stories. So the context of what he's saying, you know, when you just read it on the page, it's very like, what do you mean you think you and your son are one of the righteous? But when you understand that story about, you know, that he went into hiding and they continued to learn Torah and they almost couldn't relate to the rest of the world. So even these distinctions that the, he's making on the page of people who don't even need to access permission uh, or to be granted permission, it makes sense. You know, but this makes much more sense. It really doesn't come off as elitist. This was just a person who was at Sadiq on a, on a level that was not understood by most people in the world, even by regular tzaddikim. Right. He's not making a statement of arrogance. It happens to be, you know, a, an officially elitist position, but it's because he and his son truly lived on a different plane, at least for right. that time in the cave. Right. But if you don't know those other Gemaras, you won't understand. It. And again, just remember that this, this Lamed Bav Sadiqim appears here. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend e. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this app on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.